0: Good morning, and I welcome you to this part of our service. Certainly have enjoyed the the study in the Word of God so far. Turn with me to the book of Second Thessalonians for kind of a springboard here this morning. I'm gonna read um I'm going to read i am going to read 2 portions of scripture here in the in the beginning of this message that um, not going to comment a lot on it, but it's probably out of the two most controversial chapters in the Bible. But I just want to pull something out of that and then we're going to continue. So 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 verse 1 to 4. Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of your Lord, of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto him, that ye be not soon shaken in mind or be troubled, Neither by spirit, nor by word, nor by letter as from us, as that the day of Christ is at hand. Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come except there come a falling away first, and that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition, who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God, or that is worship, so that he as God, so that he, as God, sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Now drop down the verse eight, and then shall that wicked be be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth, and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. Even him whose coming is after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders, and with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish, because they receive not the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this cause, God shall send them strong delusion, that they shall believe a lie, that they all might be damned to believe not the truth, but at pleasure in unrighteousness. Okay, so just hold that for a second. i I'll turn with me to Revelation 20. And somebody has dubbed this as the most controversial chapter in the Bible, but we're going to dip our feet in it anyway here. And I want to read the first three verses, and then we'll drop down to verse 8 and read to the end of the chapter. And I saw an angel come down from heaven, having the key of the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold on the dragon, that old serpent which is the devil, and Satan, and bound him a thousand years, and cast him to the bottomless pit, and shut him up, and set a seal upon him, that he should deceive the nations no more, till the thousand years shall be fulfilled, and after that he must be loosed a little season. Now let's go down to verse 8. And he shall go out to deceive... I'm sorry, let's start at verse 7. And when the thousand years are expired, Satan shall be loosed out of his prison, and shall go out to deceive the nations which are in the four quarters of the earth, Gog and Magog, to them together to battle the number of whom is as the sand of the sea. And they went up on the breadth of the earth and compassed the camp of the saints about in the beloved city, and fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. And the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. And I think I'll just stop reading there. Now, you might think this is just kind of a disjointed reading of Scripture, but there, there's a theme that you might or might not have picked up on as we, we were reading through these um, these Scriptures here. But did you notice this the several times that the word deceived or deceive or uh, loving a lie, believing a lie, that kind of thing showed up in Thessalonians and Revelation here? I personally believe that both of these... Um, these readings here are referring to the time near the end of the age we currently live in when there will be rampant deception. And in the Thessalonian reading here it says that there will actually come a time when the deception will be so bad that there will be this strong delusion that comes upon people that they will believe a lie. It almost seems like they almost know it's a lie but they believe it anyway and they 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 believe it because they don't love the truth and they have no pleasure in righteousness here in the uh, in the revelation chapter depending on your persuasion and i think all of us need a really good dose of humility on on interpretation of of the book of revelation but there would be some uh, very very good people that that would believe that chapter 20 is referring to a millennial time somewhere in the future where there will be a thousand-year reign of Christ, and I will not necessarily dispute whether that will or will not happen because I have too many good friends that believe that way. And so that's fine, and I'm totally good if it turns out that way. I, I want to be a part of that. I, however, personally am somewhat of the persuasion, and I use the word somewhat, that's the underlined word here, that that this is maybe referring to the time we currently live in, the thousand years being uh, quite symbolic, and the fact that Satan was quite possibly bound whenever Jesus was resurrected. If you think about when Jesus was here on earth, you read through the Gospels, there's an awful lot of um, of uh, reference made to to, to demon possession, even children with demon possession and so on. It seemed like Satan had a, had a grip on people that is quite unlike um, other, other parts of the Scripture that we would read. It seems like that the time of Jesus there was just an awful lot of that. Anyway, um, I wonder if after Jesus' resurrection there was some sort of restraint put on Satan... And and his ability to run rampant was restrained in some way. I also wonder, and and I, I somewhat believe that as we near the time of the end, that there's going to be some kind of um, of a loosing of Satan once again, and Satan will have more free course than what he did up to that point. The whole thing of deceiving the nations, if you look at that word nations there in verse 3, uh, you could very well, um, I think without doing any di- un- disservice to the Bible, you could translate that word Gentiles. And that's another point I want to bring out. Before Jesus, before the church age, the Jews pretty much had the exclusive corner on godliness, right? Right? And the Gentiles were, by and large, just heathen. Now, that, that's broad brush, but that's largely the way it was. After Jesus comes and the gospel is preached to the whole world, you see the Gentiles coming to the church in mass. And you see the, the gospel being spread throughout the world. And you see it having large influences on nations and politics. And, you know, there's even reference made that, you know, this this country was a Christian nation. Well, I, I dispute that. I don't dispute the fact that there was certainly Christian principles that that had some um, some influence on the fiber of the founding of this nation. I don't think that can be disputed. But as we draw what I believe closer to the end of time, it certainly would seem to me that Satan is again having a heyday. All right? We see what was this Christian nation. I say that very carefully and in quotes. I mean, wholesale. Um, it's not anymore. Don't 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 think it is. It's not. It, it is is total embrace of unbelievable sin, and you see that all through the Western world. What once were hotbeds of um, of Christianity now lay in shambles. There's no there's there's secularism has uh, has largely taken over, and I believe we live in this time when there is rampant deception. That's, that's what I believe. And that's, that's what I would like to speak to this morning and again another time. I put together a sermon and realized that it was too much for one morning and so you're going to get a double dose of this. There's going to be another one coming. But I would like us to consider this morning, how do we identify deception? I don't know, Why you're here this morning, I'm guessing most of us would have had the opportunity to to turn in several churches or go a little different direction the same distance and go to a different church this morning. I would hope the reason we all showed up here this morning is because we believe we could come in here and sit in these pews and that we would hear the gospel, the pure gospel preached, the the pure word of God, the foundation that Alice was talking about this morning. And I really appreciated what he shared. Um, We we believe that we didn't have to sit here and and constantly be thinking, now, is what I'm hearing the truth? Is is that true? Isn't it true? Now, that's not saying you still shouldn't do some of that. You you still should weigh everything that I say against the word of God. You should do that. But I don't think you're here thinking that I'm likely going to be deceived this morning. I don't think that's what you're thinking. But here's the thing. And in all the houses of worship, I would dare say, this morning, that people have decided to go to, they have the same attitude. They went there believing they were going to hear the truth and nothing but the truth this morning. And I'm here to tell you something. That's not happening in every church this morning. The truth is not being preached in every church. And unfortunately, there's many of those churches we would feel very uncomfortable breaking bread with. Another thing I'd like to just jog your, your minds with, have you ever encountered someone that you not too long into the conversation got the distinct feeling that they believed you were the deceived one? Now that's, that's a strange feeling, I'll tell you that. Um, I've had that happen to me a number of times, not often, but a number of times. I have a, a, a friend of a different stripe of religion, And I'll leave it at that. But he has made it no question in my mind that he feels that I am deceived and that he's out to undeceive me. He has made that clear to me. And the only thing he holds out to me as being maybe my saving grace is the fact that at least I'm true to the religion I was taught. At least that much I have going for me. That's a strange feeling because I'm equally convinced he's deceived, see? See? And I mean, we can just go like this. And, 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 and I've learned that it doesn't really help that much because we are equally convinced that we see things correctly. But that makes me step back and say, okay, that's how he perceives it. And I have to at least consider the fact that there could be a possibility that I am deceived in some way. Is that is that okay for me to think that? I think it's fine for me to think that, that there is a possibility that I don't see things as clearly as I should. One more thing. I don't know how many of you have been um, have been um, in tune enough that you heard something about the Asbury revivals down here at the Asbury College in Kentucky. Any, how many of you have heard of that? Okay, all right, so most of you have. I, I live enough under a rock that I didn't really know about that until it was kind of over, okay? It, it came to my attention and, and so I was like, well, what is this? So I, I began to explore a little bit what this was and, and initially, I guess what alerted me to it is somebody was speaking of it in, in, in glowing terms and I was like, okay, I want to look at this and I'm going to try to look at this with an open mind. What actually happened here? And I will I will say this. Um I I will say that I think I think there could be some good things that happen there. I'm gonna at least leave that door open. Um there there's some things there that seem legitimate. However, as I dug deeper and there's there's multiple perspectives and commentaries and YouTube videos and whatever all else on, on this particular thing. But I got some raw footage there on a on a video of a of a person outside the on, on the lawn there of at there at Asbury. And he was certainly he certainly had a different take on the feeling of the Holy Spirit than I do. Let's at least say that. And it hit me sideways. And it gave me pause about what was happening there. I'll just say that. But then I asked the question, why do I feel that way? Why do I look at that with pause? And others embrace that and laud that as absolutely of God. We both can't be right. We just can't be. So I come back to this question. <clears throat> How do you and I know this morning that we are right? Or, or at least we are, um, we are in a place where we want righteousness. We are pursuing righteousness. We are, we are open to the fact that um, we want to follow God and that we are pursuing that with with openness and and hearing the voice of the Lord. How do we know that this morning? Well, I want to say this. Now, what I said up to this point might have led you to the to, to a point where you believe that we should all be on the borderline of confused of where we, we are. The, the Bible does make it clear. It, the, the, the writing of the Word of God would lead me to believe that the Bible assumes that there will always be a people that are not deceived, and it's also assuming that it is... The, 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 the scripture, as I read through the, the writers and the, and, the, and the books here in the New Testament, it seems like there's an assumption that there's going to be a percentage of people that read that that aren't deceived. And so the premise that I'm going to be speaking to you this morning and the next time that I, I take this up is that I am speaking to a body of people that are not deceived but we are keenly aware that we have that potential to be deceived, and we wish to avoid it, okay? I think that's a fair place to start. And it's always our prayer that God would reveal himself more fully to us, and that when he does, we're willing to make adjustments to come more into the conformity of Christ. I think if that's the premise we start with, we're a fairly safe, solid place to, to, to launch into this. So let's start at this spot. How can I know, number one, that this foundation, as Ellis put it, is truth? How would you prove to somebody this morning that, that this number one thing that we're preaching out of and teaching out of this morning is truth? How would you do it? What proof would you give? Well, that, that's, that, I think they have three week courses at Bible school on that, and, and we're not ready to launch that deeply into it. However, let's just, this, if you ever get into that, Discussion or, or, you, you question in your mind. Here, here's something I think we can, we can safely say that is quite, um, convincing. How many books are in this Bible? Somebody under 12, tell me. Do you know how many books are in the Bible? Somebody over 12. 66. 66 books in the Bible. There are 40 different authors of those 66 books. It was compiled over 1,500 years, which is a long time. That's a long time. It was written on three different continents and in three different languages. And yet, it is in harmony. It is in harmony. It speaks the same thing the whole way through. What was right and wrong in Genesis is still right and wrong in Revelation. Now they may say it just a slightly different way, but at the end of the day, the thing, the thing, never contradicts itself. Now there's been skeptics and so on that have point out minor little what looks like on the surface contradictions. Again, we're not going to get into that. But when you look at that, you look at the life's most controversial questions, and you realize that the writers all say the same thing. You look at the prophecies that were fulfilled, prophesied in the Old Testament, fulfilled in the New you look at these things, you look at archaeology and the confirmation of truth. Folks, we have something to stand on this morning. We just do. And by faith, we take that. And we have evidence. We have scientific evidence on our side. This Bible is something we can start with and let us never forget that. Turn with me now to Deuteronomy 13. I want to look at two passages here in Deuteronomy that that clearly show... That even back, way back here in the time of Moses, there was, Moses was very concerned. Um, Again, Deuteronomy, always think of Deuteronomy as a long sermon by Moses, because that's what it is. So Moses here is speaking um, through the unction of the Spirit. And he talks about, um, uh, he, he has strong warning against deception. We're going to start here in Deuteronomy 13, verse 1. If there arise among you a prophet or a dreamer of dreams, and giveth you a sign or a wonder, and the sign or the wonder come to pass, whereof he spake unto thee, saying, Let us go after other gods, which thou hast not known, and let us serve them, thou shalt not hearken unto the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams, for the Lord your God proveth you to know whether ye love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. Ye shall walk after the Lord your God, and fear him, and keep his commandments, and obey his voice, and ye shall serve him, and cleave unto him. And that prophet, or that dreamer of dreams, shall be put to death, because he has spoken to turn you away from the Lord your God, which brought you out of the land of Egypt, and redeemed you out of the house of bondage, to thrust thee out of the way which the Lord thy God commanded thee to walk in. So shalt thou put the evil away from the midst of thee. So you can see here that Moses is, is uh, exhorting the people that there could be possibly a, a prophet that would arise, and, and this prophet would even be able to do signs and wonders. I tell you now, when people can have that kind of power, they can do a sign or a wonder. That gets people's attentions, okay? But he said if he follows that sign and wonder and he says, hey, Uh, let's go out and serve other gods. They said immediately, Moses says, don't follow the man. Doesn't matter what his sign or wonder is, don't follow him. He said, um, disregard the sign. He's a false prophet. And despite the sign, never follow somebody that says that um, you should go out and serve another god. But the point Moses is making here is it is extremely hard to refute a person that can do a sign or a wonder. That is difficult. All right, now turn to uh, Deuteronomy 18. Another um, another passage here on um, on false prophets. And we're going to start at verse 20. But the prophet, which shall presume to speak a word in my name, which I have not commanded him to speak, or that shall speak in the name of other gods, even that prophet shall die. And if thou say in thine heart, how shall we know the word of the Lord hath not spoken? So this is a question. They said, if we hear you know, somebody talking, how are we supposed to know if it's of God or not? Well, verse 22 gives the answer. It says, when the prophet speaketh in the name of the Lord... Okay, so he's actually saying, I heard this from God. He's not saying it's from another God. If the thing follow not, nor come to pass, that is the thing which... The Lord hath not spoken, but the prophet has spoken it presumptuously, thou shalt not be afraid of him. So what God's saying here through Moses is, you need to be patient. In other words, if the prophet prophesies something and he says this is going to happen and I heard this from God, just wait and see if it happens. And If it doesn't happen, then you can safely assume that he did not hear it of God. 1 Kings 22 is a classic example of um, some of this this false prophet stuff playing out. It's a, it's a, it's a passage we're extremely familiar with, and I'm not going to read it, but it's when um, Jehoshaphat was debating whether he should go up to Ramoth-Gilead with Ahab and fight uh, with Ahab against the Syrians. And... So, in verse 6, Ahab gathers all together his 400 prophets, and he says, well, you know, shall we go up? And the 400 said, yep, go up. But Jehoshaphat, in verse 7, says, can't we have a word from the Lord? And I find this so interesting. How did he know this wasn't from God? But he said, I want a word from the Lord. And the king of Israel says, all right. he goes, there's this other guy named Micaiah, he said, I'll go get him, I'll send one of my servants to go get him, but he said, I hate the guy, Because he always speaks evil against me. And so he sends the servant out. And the servant finds Micaiah. And in uh, verse 13, when the messenger came and got him, he says to this prophet now, the prophet of God, he says, Behold now, the words of the prophets declare good to the king with one mouth. Let thy word, I pray thee, be like the word of one of them, and speak that which is good. Isn't that interesting? So the servant is telling the, the godly prophet now, this is what 400 men are saying. Can you just come and say the same thing? So what does Micaiah do? He does that. He comes and he says that. He says, well, you know, go up the ramath Gilead and, and fight. All will be well. And um, then, the, um, then Ahab has, a, has an interesting thing to say there in verse 16. The king says, how many times shall I adjure thee to tell me nothing but that which is true in the name of the Lord? And so then Micaiah launches in in verse 17 and he says, I saw all Israel scattered as sheep that had no shepherd. And um, what did he get for that? He got himself put in jail. And um, anyway, Micaiah said in verse 28, he actually goes back and he he says exactly um, what Moses talked about in Deuteronomy. He says, If thou return at all in peace... And the Lord had, then the Lord hath not spoken by me. And he said, Hearken, O people, every one of you. And we know the, the end of the story. What the man prophesied came true. And so we had 400 to 1. We had God speaking through the 1. We had some other spirit three, speaking through the 400. But if these people would have been willing to pay attention to what Moses said back all them years earlier, they would have known that this one man was a true prophet of God because what came to pass happened exactly as he predicted and this is a primary way to spot a false prophet when people are sinning all right when there's sin happening the prophet the false prophet will prophesy good things and the true prophets are despised for their words and I think that's exactly why Ahab knew that that uh, Micaiah was pulling his leg because he knew he knew he was living in sin he knew that and uh, and he wanted a word from the Lord, and yet at the same time he knew that it wouldn't be in his favor. Jeremiah 8.11 puts it like this, speaking of false prophets. It goes like this, For they have healed the hurt of the daughter of my people slightly. Now that's hard to understand, but if we put this in common English, we'd read it like this. They treat the wound of my people as though it were nothing. And they say, Peace, peace when there is no peace. And that's the uh the message of the false prophet. Now I would like to uh turn to the New Testament for the remainder of the time and look at at some of the the um, commentary on false prophets from the New Testament. Let's turn to Matthew 7 and let's look at that one quickly. Very familiar words here in the uh sermon on the mount. In verse 15, Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. Ye shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? Wherefore, by their fruits ye shall know them. All right, so the lesson is very easy, very simple. Deceivers always tend to be hard to spot, and thus we need to be alert. Thus the word beware. Beware! They tend to look right, and they tend to sound good, and we like that. People like when people look good and when they sound good. Uh, if you can articulate well, and you can, you can just speak right, and and you 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 look like you you uh, you you're dress well. People listen. This is effective. But Jesus said, "I want you to observe their fruit." What fruit are they producing? Do they display righteousness? You know, I think this is a testament to the fact that we as humans, and I think this, this is pretty typical of us as humans. I know this is the way I can be. We're, we're lazy people. We, we tend to just take people at their word, all right? And we, we, we tend not to do our research. And so we can easily be talked into stuff rather than doing the hard work and finding out the real truth. And I, my, my personal opinion is it is becoming more and more that way as we become lazier and lazier and we rely more and more on Google to uh, answer our questions for us. And, and I do the same thing. I'm not pointing any fingers. But, you know, you, you hit Google. You, you type in a, in a, in a query And, uh, you get like 4,000 things you can look at. What are you gonna look at? The top 10. That's it. That's what you're gonna look at. You're not gonna go down to the 57th page and see what, you know, what might be there sticking around. And so thus we're overwhelmed with information. We don't do our homework well. And I hope we're all wise enough to know that the algorithms and um, and things that are used on the internet aren't for our, aren't really for truth. Okay, uh, it's not exactly what they're going after, and so they want you to believe what they want you to believe. And so I think the the uh, the ability to be deceived in today's world is probably as easy or easier than it's ever been. Let's be like the noble Bereans. Search the scriptures. Let's go back to the scriptures. Let's observe the fruit. And that's the other thing about um, teachers, bloggers, whatever, on the internet. How do, how do I know what the fruit is? I have absolutely no way to observe them. I don't know. I really can't tell. And so I think we ought to be very, very, very wary of what we're imbibing uh, on those platforms. Matthew 24. And Jesus, Matthew 24, verse 4, And Jesus answered and said unto them, Take heed that no man deceive you. For many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. And many false prophets shall rise and deceive many. And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. Now I kind of jumped over a few verses there. I read uh, verses 4 and 5 and 11 and 12. But let's condense this, condense this down a little bit. The 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 key word I want to zone in here on is because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold, and this is this is the um, the whole mantra of the false prophets. Now that word iniquity, the root Greek word is an anomio, if I can say it right, anomia or something like that, and it basically means lawless or against law. So if we condense this down, what Jesus is saying, it seems like false prophets, false teachers, preach that their way is the way of Christ, but at the same time, they are against the the rules that Christ laid out. Okay, They don't like authority. They're against that. They're against anything that might remotely smack of authority or a rule in their minds. And Jesus said, because of this, the, that will cause many people's love to grow cold. Now I think, I don't need to tell you, we live in a society that is increasingly against authority and against rules. And, and that's, that's not going to bode well for us going forward societally. And I think we even see this rubbing off on us here in our churches even at times. we We don't like it Whenever we have to submit our wills to the will of a brotherhood or to the will of another brother or whatever, whatever that may be, we don't like that. And because of this of this anti-law, anti-rule, promoting self sort of a mantra um, attitude that people have, it tends to breed confusion. It tends to go right back to the book of Judges where everybody does what's right in the sight of his own eyes. And I think it even begins to influence those that are attempting to follow Christ well. But whatever the case may be, can we take Christ at His Word here, that when that attitude, that, that, um, that way of living, that, that teaching becomes embraced, Jesus says that it's gonna cause our love to grow cold. It's not gonna, it's not gonna bode well for us. You know, I think the many and varied voices that we have today, and we have many. I, I pointed that out to you earlier. We get to pick and choose what we wish to embrace. And there's many, many uh, preachers and teachers out there that have kind of a lawless attitude. And um, it does not promote godliness, but it rather promotes more godlessness. So let's be careful. Let's be careful how we how we relate to these things. Um, you know, it's very, very human of us not to like to submit and, um, and to kind of bristle at that, because it requires us to die to ourselves. It requires us to consider another uh, another point of view or way of looking at things, and that's not easy. Kind of along the same lines, let's turn to First John four. Um, a little bit different, but somewhat along the same line. John speaks to this a bit. First John four one, beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. Now here's how he say, here's some tests. He says hereby know ye the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of Antichrist, whereof ye have heard that it shall come, and even now already is in the world. I'm going to stop reading there. This kind of circles back to our Sunday school time when we were talking about how Jesus referred to himself many, many times as the Son of Man. Now, I have to admit, I read over these verses many times and wondered, what does this mean? And I recently heard a commentary on this that resonated with me, and I'm going to give it to you, and uh, you can do with what you want, but it makes a lot of sense to me. So, when when a spirit confesses that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh, what that spirit is saying is, Jesus came and he lived like you and me, and he was able to live In sinless perfection. Okay. Now, what we want to say, and there's a measure of truth to this, is that the reason he was able to do that is because he was God. He never sinned. All right. We were born with that sinful nature. He wasn't. So there's that difference. But he, he, in his humanness, the Bible says, was tempted in all points like as we. But now, when we become born again, we become partakers of the new nature we certainly have a power to rise above sin that a person without the new nature does not. Okay? We do. Now, does that mean we never sin again? That does not mean that. But when we sin, that's our fault. It's not because we there's the power that's there is not adequate to help us to rise above that sin. All right? But now, if we just say that Jesus Christ was not in the flesh, that simply means that Jesus Christ was God and thus... Yes, he was tempted but he couldn't sin. I believe Jesus could have sinned. But he didn't. But he could have. All right? So that's the whole thing of if if we put Jesus on a plane that is somehow um like he could not have sinned, that gives me an excuse to sin because after all I'm not God. I don't have that that I'm not Jesus, right? Now I, I hope this isn't confusing, but there's too much doctrine and excuse uh, in this world today for living a carnal life. Because after all, I'm just a sinner. That's that's just what I do. I sin. It's in my DNA. It's in my. It's just in my. Um, um, you know, it's just the way I am. You just have to put up with that. My circumstances and so on are just working against me so badly that I can't help myself. Basically, what you're doing is you're you're denying that Jesus Christ has what it takes to help you rise above those circumstances and live on a different plane. I hope I'm making sense here. But let's try these spirits. Let's try these um, these these doctrines, these teachings that we hear. Is it lining up with uh, with what the Word of God says? It is not true that when a person is saved, that how he lives is immaterial. That's not true. All right, another one we're going to look at here is in Matthew 24, 24. For there shall arise false Christs and false prophets, and show great signs and wonders, insomuch that if it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect. Again, this goes back to the signs and wonders things. And it says that these signs and wonders are going to be so uh unbelievable that even the very elect, the, the, the people that you would think wouldn't be deceived, could be deceived. All right? It's gonna it's gonna even trip up people that you can hardly believe could be swayed. And and here again is where I come back and say it is so, so difficult for us as humans to resist something that seems supernatural. And I had to think of uh of Keith Dean's testimony here last year when he was here. If you remember with me, he talked about a time when he, uh, uh, he was part of the, the Pentecostal church for a time. And, uh, they promoted some sort of a special spirit filling that would do strange things and, and so on. I mean, physically to you. And he, he, he talked about how that he had, he, something happened to him in one of those services. That knocked him off his feet, if I remember how he put it. And he said that I just didn't make that up. He said something literally happened to me. That's pretty persuasive. That is pretty persuasive when something, something that real happens to a person. Now you go back and listen to Keith's testimony because I don't want to I don't want to bungle it. But if I remember correctly, um, Keith's testimony was is that, you know, it was the fruit that he was seeing in the people around him that led him to wonder, is this really of God? But he did not dispute the fact that something real happened to him that Sunday in church or whenever it was. And that's what I found in my research here on this Asbury Revival Movement. That led me to other um, uh, sites and so on, and it is unbelievable Truly unbelievable! What passes for Holy Spirit filling—it—it—it—it it, 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 it apparently has a way of swaying people that I personally don't understand. But it, it's a testament again that we like signs and wonders. The very same thing happened to in our Mennonite history years ago. One of the uh, Lancaster Conference bishops by the name of Martin Beam became uh, very intrigued with with uh, signs and wonders, as it were. He became a very charismatic and, and, uh, and, um, he, he really believed that the, the signs of the Spirit were being slain and tongues and those kinds of things. And a, um one, one, uh, one time when he was holding a meeting there in his house, um, he was getting carried away with, on this, on this binge and, And there was a visitor there at at that meeting, and this is what the visitor described it as. He says, People were affected to the point that they fell about the house and their cries were heard afar off. This frightens others who tumbled over each other to get out of the house. When the weeping drowned out the preaching, a chorister attempted to raise a song, but at that point he also pitched under the table and lay like a dead man. Two attempts by others ended with the same result. Martin suddenly cried out, I've never seen God in this way. This is Pentecost for sure. Now, if that happened here this morning, you, would you call that Pentecost? Is, would you feel like the Spirit was here? My point is, these things are hard to refute. We have to sort through these things. Galatians one eight, Paul exhorts the people there in Galatia. He said, but if we, meaning Paul... Or an angel from heaven would preach any other gospel unto you other than what we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. Now I want you to stop and think about that for a second. If, if an angel would walk in that door there, back there, and he'd come up here and he'd stand beside me, and you could you could ascertain that this man was truly an angel. And he began to speak to you, and he said things other than what was in this book here. Who would you believe this morning, me or the angel? Well, I shouldn't say me. But would you believe this book or would you believe the angel? I tell you what, it would be pretty hard to refute the angel. It just would be. And as I thought about it, if you would go back to 1 Kings 13 where that prophet went to Jeroboam and he prophesied against Jeroboam's evil ways and he said, This altar is going to split. And Jeroboam reached out to grab him. His hand withered. The altar was split. And Jeroboam suddenly realized that was a man of God, and he asked the man of God to restore his hand. He did that, and Jeroboam says, you know, come home with me and eat. And and the prophet said, I can't do that because God said that I can't eat or drink until I get home, and I have to go home a different way. So he begins his trek home a different way, and um, another prophet, and I'll never understand this, come and lied to him and said, hey, an angel came and told me that you should come home and eat with me. That was too much for the prophet. That was too much for the prophet of God. He said, wait a minute, an angel, an angel came and talked to this man. It has to be of God. And he went home and he ate with him and it was to his death. He died that day. But it was interesting to me that it was an angel involved. Okay, An angel came and told me. Joseph Smith and Muhammad both... Both said that angels came and talked to them. That's where the Quran supposedly came from, the angel Gabriel. Uh, The angel Moroni apparently spoke to to Joseph Smith. Now, here's the thing. I can't say whether an angel talked to them or not. But I know one thing, it wasn't an angel of God. It just wasn't. But I do know that, that Satan sometimes portrays himself as an angel of light. That I know. Folks, I hope you're getting the point. Um we we are very, very easily um, dissuaded from the truth by things that look spectacular. And we have to be aware of that. John says in 1 John 4, he says, the antidote to trying the spirits is looking who is attracted to the teaching. And I, and I just have to read that because it's just too good. And and it was in 1 John 4 there where uh, we... Um, read shortly be, before he, he, he goes like this in verse 6 he says we are of God he that knoweth God heareth us and that he, he that is not of God heareth us not hereby know we the spirit of truth and the spirit of error so in other words John "If you if you see people attracted to this truth you can know what you're hearing is of God worldly people are not attracted to this but if you hear if you see people that obviously are leading a very worldly godless lifestyle and they and they are liking what they're hearing, you can know that that is not truth that they are receiving. Now that's harsh language, but that's exactly what John is saying here. Well, we're going to wrap this up lastly in 1 Timothy 4:1. It goes like this, now the spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter days some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from meats which God hath created to be received with thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth. What I want to hone in here is on the seductive spirits. You know what it means to seduce? When you are seduced or you are attempting to seduce someone, and I hope that doesn't define you on either side here, but when that happens, seduction happens a little at a time, so slowly that you hardly know what's happening. And yet there is a there is an intentional um, motivation. Like Like, if I wanted to seduce you, I would know that's what I'm doing, but I would have my ducks in a row and I'd make sure that I didn't overwork my hand, I would do that slowly, methodically, and I would have an end game in mind, see? And I think we see seduction happening over and over and over in our world today, slowly, one step at a time, just a little bit. Give me an inch. I'll live with that inch for a year. Just give me another inch. And slowly, 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 we see people taken off of a good path and way out into the weeds. 10, 15, 20 years later, you have no, you have, you, there isn't even a resemblance of where people once were. And it's because they gave heed to seducing spirits. And folks, that's the, that's why we have to be so careful about little changes in our lives and in our collective body. What is the spirit that's driving it? What, what is the, what is the thing behind it? Sometimes things that seem so mundane or trivial or, or don't matter in our minds, can be a seductive spirit working in there and suddenly that little step we took, we had no idea that that was going to start us down a path that we never wanted to travel. Let's be so, so careful of that. Well, i got to stop. And so that's what I'm going to do. <clears throat> Folks, let's be careful. There's false prophets then. There's still false prophets today. And uh, next time we uh, we come together... We'll uh, finish this message out. And and I want to end up at a place where we can feel good that we are living in a place where we're not deceived and we can have some tools to work with to help us to understand when that might be happening and how to avoid it. That's my hope.